Well, good morning again, and welcome to Resurrection Church today. As I mentioned a moment ago, we're in the third Sunday of Advent, and we're calling this our Back to the Future sermon series. And the reason we've chosen that title, Back to the Future, is because Advent is kind of like a telescope. It stretches the time out. It looks at the first coming of Christ, but it looks all the way past that to the second coming of Christ to kind of tell us how the story is going to end. This morning, we're going to be looking specifically at Isaiah chapter 65. Even in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to how the story was going to end. How is God going to complete this amazing drama of good and evil, of creation and the fall, of uh, sending of Moses and Abraham and Sarah? How are all these things going to come to an end? That's what we're going to look at this morning in Isaiah chapter 65. Now, this season of Advent, in many ways, reminds me of a garden that we planted right out here on the church property about three years ago. It was sowing season, and Vance came to me one day uh, early in sowing season, and he had a bag full of seeds. And on the bag, it said something I never knew existed. It said, Dear Resistant Wildflower Perennial Seeds. Dear Resistant Perennial means they come back every year, wildflower seeds. So I looked at Vance and said, well, what kind of flowers are in this bag of seeds right here? And neither one of us knew. So I guess we just have to put them in the ground and find out what kind of seeds are in this bag. We don't really know what they're going to look like. And so we scattered those seeds, or I did. I planted them around the perimeter of the garden. Try to see if they would keep the deer back. We, I think, have probably more coyotes than deer. And... Uh, Sure enough, the flowers came up, and they do. They keep coming back each year. You'll see some reds and some, some yellows and some oranges from the perennial wildflower deer-resistant seeds that we planted. Well, the season of Advent is a little bit different than the wildflower seeds that were in that bag. During the season of Advent, God wants us to know what the seed is and what the seed will look like, the fruit of that seed. We're not, he's not going to leave us to guess, I wonder what kind of seed this is. I wonder what's going to happen if I throw it. That's not how Advent works. Here's how Advent works. This is a seed of uh, evil, and here's what you get. We saw that last week, right? Here's a seed of evil, Peter says, and here's the fruit that that seed is going to guarantee to bring you. Here's the seed of righteousness, and this week we're going to see... Here's the seed of the fruit of the seed of righteousness is guaranteed to bring you. I'm not going to leave any mystery bags sitting around. I'm going to tell you exactly what kind of fruit you're going to get from this seed and from this seed. In a nutshell, that's the season of Advent. It starts off the whole year. Let's telescope. Let's tell, I'm going to tell you where we're going. It's a good army mission, right? Here's the mission. Here's where we're going. That's what the season of Advent is largely about. And so we're going to see, look at both seeds for a moment, and then we're going to ask, why does God give us this picture of the seed and the fruit that it will bear specifically during Advent? Uh, but let's begin in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 11 through 12, and we're going to look first uh, a little bit more at the seed of evil and the fruit of evil that comes from that, both in Isaiah and in Peter last week. And here's what Isaiah says. It says, but you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, that's a really important theme here, the holy mountain of God, who set a table for fortune. This is a, they're, a wor- they're worshiping an idol called for- fortune through a, a table, having kind of a seance with this idol, and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny. That's another idol. 
Here's what Isaiah says. I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. So here's the phrase again that Isaiah is using to describe both the seed of evil and the fruit of evil. He says, you who do evil, you will bow down to slaughter. You think you're worshiping something that's going to give you life, but you're actually worshiping something that's going to lead to your slaughter. Jesus, we saw last week, described uh, evil and the end result of evil is going to lead to a place. And in that place, there's going to be weeping. There's going to be gnashing of teeth. So there's lots of reasons to have sorrow, lots of reasons to be angry, to kind of grit your teeth. It says the worm does not die there. The worm's always going to have work to do. There's going to be lots of decay. There's going to be darkness and fire. David uh, talks about the similar seed and fruit of evil in Psalm chapter 7, verse 14, when David says, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. So why am I... Uh, sharing or reminding us of this seed of evil and the fruit that it bears. There are two reasons. As Christians, it's important for us to be aware of evil, but not obsessed with evil. It's important for us to be aware of evil, but not consumed by evil. Paul says about the devil, we're not oblivious to the works of the devil. We're not unaware of his schemes. So why should we be aware of it, but not obsessed by it, not consumed by it? And there's two reasons that God tells us the the seed and tells us the fruit. The first reason is this. God's just going to handle it. He's just going to take care of it. It's like fire, worm, gnashing of teeth, weeping. He's just going to handle it. The final judgment is just all going to be handled. There's not going to be a single reason to cry anymore at the final judgment. Every tear will be wiped away if you love Jesus. You'll have lots of reasons to cry if you reject Jesus and turn away from him. So we don't have to be consumed by evil because God's just going to handle it. Second coming, return of Christ, final judgment. Whatever's caused uh, heartache in your own soul, in my own soul, our own sin, for example, it's going to be handled. Whatever evil has happened to you, it's just going to be handled. So I'm not consumed by it. You're not consumed by uh, evil or obsessed with it because we trust God to handle it. And then second of all, David says, in this life, even before the final judgment, evil has a way of falling in its own pit. Okay, look, here comes, uh, we'll use Pax. Here comes Pax. Let me dig a hole for Pax to fall in. I'm going to play a trick on Pax and get him to fall in this hole, evil says. And guess what happens to evil? Evil falls in its own hole. That's what David says. Elsewhere in the book of Psalms, he says, it sets a snare for you like a bird. Let's get this person... And then it gets caught up in its own snare. So God has a way of, e- of making evil boomerang back on itself. It just takes care of it. You didn't have to obsess over it. It hit itself in the head with a boomerang. God, God made sure of that. It's okay. Like, I, I'm not that worried about it. I know it's there, but it doesn't obsess or consume me. Uh, and then what does, what does God want to do in us? That's what he does with evil. What does God do in us? Some of you have perhaps heard me tell the story about a man who fell in a deep, deep pit. There was no ladder and there was no rope and there was no way to get out of the deep 
deep pit. And the man cried out to God and said, God, please send a ladder. I need help, somebody to help get me out of this pit. And God sent a ladder. The man cried out again and said, God, please send me a rope. I'm stuck. I'm hungry. I'm in a terrible pit here. Please get me out of this pit. And God sent no rope. The man cried out in desperation, and God finally responded on the third time of prayer. And God said this, I am not going to send you a ladder. I am not going to send you a rope, but I'll tell you what I will do. I'm going to grow you until you can step out of the pit. Brothers and sisters, your pit very well may not change until the return of Christ. Your pit may be there for a long time until the return of Christ. But don't think that means that God isn't at work. He is at work, and oftentimes what he is doing, he is growing you or growing me until you can step out of the pit that you've fallen into for whatever reason we've fallen into that pit. There's a purpose. You're getting grown. (laughs) I'm getting grown. That's why God wants us to know what evil is. He wants us to avoid it. But even when you fall in the pit, he's going to use even that. That's how big he is. That's how powerful he is. Even the pits that you and I fall into, he's going to grow us even through that until we just, boop, I'm just going to step out of this one. I don't need to pray for a rope or a ladder anymore. Amazing the beauty and the power of God to use even the worst things to bring about his purposes. Well, even more important and even more joyful than the seed and fruit of evil, God wants us to know this morning and during the season of Advent, he wants us to know about the seed and the fruit of righteousness. He wants us to know about the seed and the fruit of righteousness. Listen to how he's going to describe this contrast now. Uh, This is God speaking through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, and he says, For behold... I, God, is I here. I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress." So listen again to the the seed and the fruit that God's going to bring about, the seed of righteousness. He says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. He says there's going to be what I call the gift of forgetfulness. There's going to be the former things. You're not even going to be able to remember them anymore. That's kind of wild. And then there's going to be rejoicing. So let's look briefly at those three fruits of the seed of righteousness. A new heavens and a new earth, the gift of forgetfulness, and the gift of rejoicing. Jesus himself tells us in the Gospel of John that he is like a seed that is planted in the ground. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. He's speaking of his crucifixion and his resurrection. But Jesus is a seed that is so powerful that not only is he going to die and raise from the dead as, say, an individual flower or an individual first fruits, as the Bible calls him. His death and his resurrection is so powerful that it's going to birth a whole new creation, a whole new heavens, a whole new earth. Sometimes I hear people ask, will I be bored in heaven? I heard we're just going to be standing around singing forever. Will I be bored in heaven? Listen to what Isaiah says. You're going to be building houses. 
You're going to be planting vineyards. You're going to be taking care of animals. God's going to be right there. He says, when you ask, he will not delay in his answer. Hey, God, how should I build this house? Hey, God, what's the way to get the best wine out of this vineyard? Hey, God, this is a wild animal that's been extinct for however long. I don't know what to do with it. Teach me about this animal. God's going to be right there in the new heavens and the new earth, and there's going to be work to do. There's going to be labor to perform, and it's going to be joyful, meaningful labor without sorrow. The gift of the new heavens and the new earth is the first thing that Advent wants you to know, that this is leading somewhere. It's leading to a new heavens and a new earth. I used to teach my kids about this, and I love one of the questions Simeon asked when he was a little boy. We were talking about when you get your new body, your resurrected body, Jesus was at the table in Emmaus having dinner, and when he broke the bread and they recognized it was Jesus, and then boom, he was gone, and he was over here in a whole new place. And Simeon heard that story, and he asked the question, Daddy, when I get my new body, will I be able to be as fast as Jesus? I want to be as fast as Jesus. That's a new creation question right there. I want to plant a vineyard like Jesus. I want to build a house like Jesus. I want to see the animals that were made through the word of the Father spoken through Jesus in the first creation coming to life again in the new creation. I want to see that. I want to dream about that. This is the, this is the good stuff now. Last week was the warning. This is the good stuff. We want to soak our minds in the good stuff. Second gift of the seed of righteousness It's called the gift of forgetfulness. The gift of forgetfulness. Brothers and sisters, is there anything that you wish you could forget? Is there any thought, any memory, any action, anything you've witnessed, anything that you've ever perhaps happened to you that you wish you could forget it? Sometimes I hear people say, you can forgive but you can never forget. That may be true in this life. It's not true anymore in the life to come. Here's what Scripture says, and the former things shall not be remembered. Dang, that's powerful. I'm not even going to remember it. Uh, Men in black, right? Pink, it's gone. (laughs) The former things shall not be remembered or even come into mind. You won't even be able to It's just gone, y'all. It's the gift of forgetfulness. You don't even have it anymore. You can't even access it. It's not even in the memory file. I don't care how long you sit and do whatever exercise. You're not even going to be able to remember it. That's a powerful gift. We're not just talking about forgiveness anymore. We're talking about forgetfulness. It's not even going to be there. The work of God is so powerful that He not only forgives us, He also helps us to forget whatever needs to be forgotten. Uh, And that can start happening in in this life. I was talking to Vance uh, recently, and we had a, having a a discussion, and I felt like maybe there was something I said in the discussion that had hurt my brother. So I went up to Vance, and I said, Vance, I hope I didn't offend you in something I said during that meeting. I hope I didn't hurt you by those words. Vance looked at me and said, I don't even remember it. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? I don't even remember it. I said, well, praise God. He convicted my conscience, and I'm glad it didn't hurt you. So I felt like I needed to say that. Didn't even, new creation's already at work in the brother. <laughs> it's already happening. The former things will not even be remembered, nor will they come to mind. You'll get to forget everything that needs to be forgotten. What a gift of the new creation. Isn't that a gift? Third 
final gift of the new creation is rejoicing. Isaiah says, you will, you will be rejoicing forever. Quote, you will rejoice forever. And it says, God says, I will rejoice in you. And then he says, uh, uh, you will be created to be a joy. It's kind of like three, 3D chess, three-way rejoicing. You will rejoice forever. God will rejoice in you, and you will be a joy to those around you. God will bless you, and through you all the nations will be blessed. Kind of Abraham language. I shared on Slack, our internal church communication uh, platform this week, a video of the consecration of a new bishop in Butare Diocese, Rwanda, where Ted and I will be going in about one month's time, just over one month's time, to visit our sister church and sister diocese there. And it was a five-hour service. Don't worry, this is going to be short of that. It was a five-hour service, if you watched the whole thing. And I didn't. I fast-forwarded through lots of it. But here's why it was a five-hour service, if you're curious. It was a five-hour service because they would process. This was all outdoors, grass and dirt path. Stadiums, seating, but it was all outdoors. They would process, and then they would sing a song on a stage with a massive choir. They would uh, say a prayer, and then they would sing a song. They would do a reading, and then they would sing a song. Somebody would share a charge or an announcement or call to action, and then they would sing a song. They would lay hands on the new bishop, and then they would sing a song and dance. <laughs> and then they would do something else, and they would sing a song and dance some more. Then they would go get the bishop, and they would drag the bishop out of his seat and make the bishop dance with them in the grass in front of everybody, spontaneous uh, dancing worship, worship and dance, just spontaneous breaking forth. So the reason the service lasted five hours because, is because there was so much rejoicing. That's why. If you cut out all the songs, it would have been short. If you cut out all the dancing, it would have gotten over quickly. It would have been more efficient. So as I watched the video and fast-forwarded through lots of it, I began to be challenged. I began to be challenged. And what challenged me is this. Why are these people rejoicing so much? We just heard yesterday their average income is like $928 a year. One of the poor countries in Africa. Lots of sickness, lots of disease, still warfare on the perimeter of the country breaking out. Why are these people rejoicing so much? It confused me. I didn't understand it. And the phrase that I believe the Lord brought to my mind and to my spirit is this. Brothers and sisters, rejoicing makes sense. Rejoicing makes sense. If Jesus is victorious and he is on the throne at the right hand of the Father, these people knew what they were doing. And rejoicing makes sense, even if you're only making $928 a year in Rwandan money. What doesn't make sense is what we so often fall into. Cynicism does not make sense because it assumes there's no Jesus on the throne. Jadedness does not make sense because it assumes that everything's always going to be bad. <laughs> Is that really a, a Jesus assumption? Where'd you get that from? That sounds like the devil to me. Sounds like you're believing the devil to me. Cynicism and jadedness does not make sense. Rejoicing makes sense. Act accordingly. Follow the church of Rwanda as they worship for five hours straight. They know what they're doing. 
they know what they're doing and they're teaching us <laughs> how to follow their example. But why does God give us this picture? Why does God give us this picture of the seed and the fruit of righteousness? The seed and the fruit of evil. Why is He giving us this picture? Here it is and here's the promise that comes with it. Verse 22, They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. There it is. They shall not labor in vain. Or bear children for calamity. It shall not happen. <laughs> for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, God says. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. He's going to be right there, right beside us in the new heavens and the new earth. This past spring, planted, I guess, the third or fourth, whatever number of garden it is that we share the produce from. And uh, one of my favorite things to plant is the watermelon seeds, because the watermelon seeds just, they do awesome. They get big. I mean, people love watermelon, so you can share lots of watermelon on our table. Well, this past spring, I was not able to share one single solitary watermelon. Every single seed I planted was carried off, eaten, chewed up by something. <laughs> Some animals found out where we live, y'all, <laughs> and is devouring our watermelon. Probably a raccoon or a coyote, or maybe a, a, a mouse. You can see a little mouse can sometimes burrow in there and make a little home. Now, I used to be able to give away dozens of watermelon, but I, I couldn't do a single one this year. How does it feel to labor in vain? How does it feel to plant beautiful watermelon seeds, weed the seeds, watch the crop come up, and then not be able to harvest a single solitary watermelon? How does it feel to labor in vain? It doesn't feel good, does it? It feels depressing. It feels discouraging. It feels futile. But what God is promising us here would be the equivalent of this. You can start with three watermelon seeds, and I guarantee you, you're going to get 30 watermelons out of those three seeds. No questions asked. It's a done deal. It's just happened. It's going to be a result of my work in the new creation. You're not going to labor in vain. You're not going to build a house and somebody else is going to take it over. You're not going to have a child and then they get, whatever, taken away by the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's not going to happen anymore. No, I'm going to win. I have one, and I'm going to make sure that victory happens in your life too if you are relying on me by the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, this is a good deal. This is a really, really good deal. And what uh, God is doing here is He is promising us that the seeds that we sow will not be sown in vain, that they will be fruitful, and that we will be established if we are in Christ. If anybody is in Christ, there is a new creation. You are established as a new creation in Christ. And when you and I, brothers and sisters, when we sow with God, we always receive more than is humanly possible. <laughs> Dang, I didn't know three would lead to 30. I've never seen that happen before. Guess what? You're doing God's economy now. You're not, just, you're not on your own anymore. You're in God's economy now. You're always going to receive more than is humanly possible. I'm not doing name it, claim it. I'm not going to say you're going to win a car tomorrow. That's 
rubbish. But when you rely on Christ at His time and in His way, if you're sowing the seeds of Christ, you will always, His way, His time, receive more than is humanly possible. It's what happened at Jesus' death. Uh, it's the end. Time to flee Jerusalem, go to Emmaus. Uh, he's done for. We thought He was the one to redeem Israel. God did more than was humanly possible in Jesus' resurrection. It's what happens today when we abide in Christ. And it's clearly what will happen at the return of Christ. Clearly what will happen at the return of Christ. So brothers and sisters, this Advent, I invite you to sow seeds of righteousness generously. Do not be stingy. Do not be scrooged with your seeds of righteousness. Sow your seeds of righteousness generously in prayer. Sow them generously in giving to those around you. Sow them generously in expressing the love of Christ, meeting the needs of the body of Christ. Sow them generously in your worship and your rejoicing, as our brothers and sisters in Rwanda showed us last Sunday on December 10th. Let's pray now and ask the Lord's fruitfulness in our seeds of righteousness that we are called to receive and to sow.